Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. From tales of pirates and privateers to murderers, tragic accidents to wartime escapades, this podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception, so get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. slopes of Brandon Hill in the centre of Bristol just off of Park Street have been a recreation area since 1174, making it the oldest municipal open space in the country. The highest part is about 250 feet above the level of the floating harbour, and the whole space is about 25 acres. The soil is millstone grit, and local guide from 1882 once said... The hill appears to be rock-covered with a thin stratum of earth which in some places is deficient and leaves the stones quite bare. The rock is valued by artists for grinding colours, hard substances, for which there is not any stone known to be superior to it. The view from the top of the hill is enormous, especially from the top of Cabot Tower, where you can see the spires and towers of the city churches on one hand and the heights of Clifton on the other. The river winding below and the hills of Somerset in the distance, with Dundry Tower standing out sharply on the horizon. This all combines to make a very attractive panorama. But bear in mind that Cabot's Tower is 105 feet tall, which means that it has 100 plus steps, so you will have to work hard to get that amazing view. In 1882, a Mr R. J. Thorne of Bridgewater wrote, To Brandon Hill my journey I pursue, from whence Bristol forms a pleasing view. Buildings superb and lofty spires surprise the gazer's senses and enchant his eyes. Whilst to his ears quick vibration come, the noise works in the city's ceaseless hum. Queen's Parade was built in 1755, and Berkeley Square commenced the same year. Park Street was started in 1775, and when the process of building was still going on, Hannah Moore moved from Trinity Street to the house number 10, afterwards occupied by Mr Lasbury, the bookseller. Here she had a school for young ladies and was visited by many famous people, among them Edmund Burke, an Irish-born statesman, economist and philosopher. A few doors down was born John W. Brett, the inventor of the ocean telegraphy, who died December 1863. Great George Street and Charlotte Street were built later, at the beginning of the 18th century, and a theatre was built in Jacob's Wells near Brandon Hill by John Hippersley, a comedian, but after a few years it fell into decay of what Chatterton was pleased to term the hut at Jacob's Well, and was poetically described by a Bath poet who said, Close to where Brandon's heights majestic rise, your once famed theatre ruin lies. By time, rude leveller of small and great, Troy's towers and Jacob's well have shared one fate. A boundary wall was placed along the foot of the hill near Jacob's wells, and the lower part of the road near where St Peter's Church was built, with access to Brandon Hill by a lofty flight of steps. Other approaches to this people's park 
are from Charlotte Street, Park Street, Barclay Square and St George's Road. About 1625, an Act of Common Council to the Mayor and Sheriffs allowed citizens to dry their clothes on Brandon Hill. At the time of the dissolution, Brandon Hill belonged to Tewkesbury Abbey and was sold to private individuals, and in 1625 was leased to the corporation at a yearly rent of £1.6. They keeping it well prepared and maintaining the hedges and bushes and admitting the drying clothes townsmen and townswomen as had anciently been accustomed. Word of the Week And this week it's my pleasure to give you Twixt And I'm not talking about the chocolate cookie and caramel bar that we have in England No, I'm talking about the word Twixt Which is a contracted version of Betwixt Which is an archaic term for between So if you were to say it's Twixt 1 and 2 It's between 1 and 2 You can often hear the term twixt or betwixt in Shakespearean plays. Before I continue with today's story, I'd just like to say that the music you hear in the background is called Three Mask Dances, which is quite apt for what's been going on recently with Covid, don't you think? Anywho, back to our tale. The legend respecting the liberty to dry clothes on the western slope of Brandon Hill is associated with the visit of Queen Elizabeth I to Bristol. She was first expected in Bristol in 1570 and in preparation for this, the council repaired the roads. The visit was postponed until Saturday the 14th of August 1574 and rates to the value of £535 one shilling and seven were raised. The council borrowed another £450 from the poor fund and the dean and chapter gave £5, although the visit cost Bristol around £1,000. The council went to a lot of trouble to show the city off. The high cross and the city gates were renovated. 53 barges of sand were used to cover the roads. Two tonnes of gunpowder were ordered and uniforms in a city livery made for 400 soldiers. Elaborate pageants, speeches of welcome and entertainments of the Queen and her court were planned for the week that they were here. All this preparation was huge, especially when you consider that the plague once again came to Bristol. Adam's Chronicles of Bristol says that 2,000 people died in the city during 1574 and 1575. Not only that, but on the night of the 13th of August, the gunpowder stored in the Pelican Inn for the pageants blew up, killing five people. Queen Elizabeth I stayed in the recently built Great House on St Augustine's Back, near the site of the present Colston Hall, or the Bristol Beacon, as it's now called. The house belonged to Mr John Young, who was later knighted by the Queen for his hospitality. On entering the house for the first time, 300 soldiers fired their muskets. This was closely followed by 130 pieces of ordnance, or mounted artillery guns, being fired from the castle and city walls. 
The following day, the Queen attended a service at the cathedral during which a hymn specially commissioned for the occasion was sung. In the very scarce pamphlet, Churchyard Chips, it stated that the Queen went to the college to hear a sermon where there was a speech to be said and a hymn to be sung. This speech was left out by an occasion unlooked for, but the hymn was sung by a very fine boy. After the big service at Bristol Cathedral, there was another one at St Mary Redcliffe. And it was during this visit that Queen Elizabeth I was said to have made the famous remark about the church that it was the fairest, goodliest and most famous parish church in England. After the services, a two or three day pageant followed. There were mock battles at the castle and between ships in the docks. The sailors in the battles were afterwards given six barrels of beer and six dozen bottles of ale. During the battles, various speeches were made to help the Queen understand what was going on. A man swam across the river and presented the Queen with a book bound in green velvet of the various speeches being made. After delivering his own speech, he jumped back into the river and swam to the opposite bank. As the mock battle ended, a figure known as City gave a speech. Our trade doth stand on civil life, and there our glory lies. And not on strife, the ruin of states, a storm that all destroy. We venture goods and lives, you know, and travel seas and land, to bring by traffic heaps of wealth and treasure to your land, and kiss the steps where she doth tread, that keeps her country thus, in peace and rest and perfect stay, wherefore the God of peace. In peace by peace, our peace preserve, and her long life increase. <laughs> Word on the street. And seeing as we're all about queens today, we're going to be talking about Queen Square, which is built in the reign of Queen Anne, who visited Bristol on her way to Bath, where she was taking the waters to relieve her gout. Until then, the area where Queen Square now stands was marshland and had been used as the city's rubbish dump and for weaponry practice. Now though, it's a popular retreat for nearby workers and visitors to the city who are looking for somewhere to relax. It regularly hosts outdoor theatre, concerts and other major events and is often used in period dramas as backdrops in film and television. Queen Elizabeth I's visit to Bristol was not all fun and games. Bristol's foreign trade had done well in the 15th and early 16th centuries, but now it looked as if there might be war with Ireland and Spain. Six years before, Spanish ships had attacked Hawkins in the Bay of San Juan de Lua. As a reprisal, Spanish ships were attacked in the English Channel, and Drake had been attacking Spanish ships in Panama. Lord Burley, the Queen's secretary, joined her in Bristol, as did emissaries from Spain. A treaty was signed that gave England another 12 years of peace. This document, the Treaty of Bristol, was signed on the 21st of August, 1574. The memory of the visit to the capital of the West was also commemorated in a school founded by John Carr in 1586, still known as Queen Elizabeth's Hospital, or QEH, 
are now situated on Brandon Hill. The schoolhouse and grounds occupy four acres. As for the memory of Queen Elizabeth and the whole clothes-drying incident on Brandon Hill, that's also preserved by St Stephen's Ringers, who, each anniversary dinner, used to sing in honour of the golden days of Good Queen Bess, where the clothes-drying permission is mentioned in the following verse. Bristol maids, a and widows, too, royal decree, sir, from that time made their spouses of this ancient city free, sir, with privilege besides, which they all inherit still, sir, of hanging out their smell kits, white to dry on Brandon Hill, sir. And here's the latest news. Boffins at Bradley Stoke Labs have declared that we shouldn't be worried about our smartphones or TVs spying on us. They say our vacuum cleaner has been gathering dust on us for years. You're listening to Alice on the Backtracker History Show. Hear it first only on Bradley Stoke Radio online at bradleystokeradio.com. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. privilege enjoyed by the wives and daughters of Bristol Freeman of drying their clothes on Brandon Hill was, it is said, given to them by Queen Elizabeth as something to compensate them for their ugliness. She thought that without a set of clean clothes, no one would be tempted to marry them. The clothes crying decree is considered more than a local legend when a railway line was proposed to go along the side of Brandon Hill. The people who successfully opposed the scheme took with them three old washerwomen who lived in Jacob's Wells to protest before the Committee of the House of Commons against the threatened interference with their rights. Chatterton, the Bristol poet, alludes to the laundry incident in his poem Clifton, where he says, Now Brandon's cliffs my wandering gazes meet, whose craggy surface mocks the lingering feet. Queen Bess, so ancient legends say, to Bristol's fair where to the sun's warm ray, on the rough bush, the linen white they spread, or deck with rusty leaves the massy bed. A few more interesting facts about Brandon Hill. 
which takes its name from St Brandon, a hermit who lived in a cell annexed to the chapel on the summit where two cannons, taken from the Russians during the Crimean War, stood. This chapel was built in the early 14th century, where a series of isolated hermits lived until 1480. They lived a secluded monastic life, toiling the land and utilising the hill's isolation in an attempt to gain a closer relationship to God. When Wilhelm Wycrest paid a visit to the hermits of Brandon, he was informed by him that sailors and discreet men had stated the height of his cell was about 100 feet greater than that of any in the city, including Redcliffe Church. The chapel dedicated to St Brandon was about 27 feet long and 16 feet wide. The hermitage was attached to it, and in the reign of Henry II, when so many alterations were made to religious buildings, the chapel and hermitage were moved off the summit of Brandon Hill, and in 1565, a Mr Reed, the town clerk of Bristol, erected a windmill on the very spot. When there were recent excavations of Cabot Tower's foundations, they found the remnants of not only the chapel, but parts of the skeletons of the monks that had once lived there. It's worth noting that Queen Elizabeth I also went to Berkeley Castle two years before she came to Bristol. Berkeley Castle is situated halfway between Bristol and Gloucester. And what's remarkable about it is that for nine centuries the building, the Berkeley family, the archives, which go all the way back to the 12th century, and the contents and estate have all survived together. And when Queen Elizabeth I visited, she upset Lord Berkeley by killing 27 of his prized deer. Her visit will be recreated at the castle on the 27th and 28th of August, with living history displays, archery, musket and crossbow shooting, and lots of other activities and displays relevant to the time period. In fact, Berkeley Castle has fired up its calendar this year. On the 3rd of April, it has the Battles of the Barclays, which explores the leading role the Barclays played during 900 years of conflict and war, at home and abroad. And on the 10th of April, they're doing a Queens of Britain, which celebrates 70 years on the throne for our very own Queen Elizabeth II. This new show is celebrating some of the better known amongst this elite club of queens who have ruled the country in their own right. And for Easter, there's For King and Parliament, a fantastic Easter weekend of living history, which starts on the 15th of April up to the 18th of April. It's set in 1642, and England is divided between supporters for His Majesty King Charles I and of the rights of the people and Parliament. Back in the day facts. And we start off with the 2nd of April 1982, when several thousand Argentine troops seized the Falkland Islands from Great Britain. On the 3rd of April 1913, British suffragette Emmeline Pankhurst was sentenced to three years in jail. Pankhurst was the leader of Britain's suffragette movement, 
who founded the Women's Social and Political Union, or WSPU, in 1903. The members of this organisation gained notoriety through the militant tactics they commonly employed to agitate for women's suffrage. Pankhurst defended these actions on the grounds that the condition of our sex is so deplorable that it is our duty to break the law in order to call attention to the reasons why we do. They did achieve some degree of success in 1918 when British women were granted limited suffrage, but it was only in the year of her death in 1928, that women were granted full voting rights. On the 4th of April 1968, US civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated by James Earl Ray at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. His death sparked massive riots in over a hundred cities across the United States. In 1986, Martin Luther King Day was inaugurated as a federal holiday. On the 5th of April 1943, Chinese steward Poon Lim is found off the coast of Brazil by a Brazilian fisherman family after being adrift for 133 days, after a British ship SS Benelumund was torpedoed by a German U-boat. The 5th of April in 1965 saw the 37th Academy Awards, where My Fair Lady's Rex Harrison won an award and Julie Andrews won an award for Mary Poppins. And lastly, on the 6th of April 1906, the world's first animated cartoon is released. It was called Humorous Phases of Funny Faces and was by J. Stuart Blackton. And now, my friends, it's time for me to say goodbye. But don't worry, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. And as always, I'd love to thank those who really brought the story to life. And this week, we had Molly Jeffries, Joe Wilson, Sam Roberts and Kate Kendall from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol as well as our very own Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke Radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well... Let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening, and until next time guys, take care, and look after each other.